Welcome to I'm Fine, You, brought to you by Maybelline New York, where we are normalizing the conversation around anxiety, depression, and mental health. Now here's your host, Chrissy Rutherford. Welcome back to I'm Fine, You, presented by Maybelline New York. Maybelline's Brave Together initiative is dedicated to breaking the stigma around anxiety and depression while addressing challenges and providing resources to those in need. Hi, I'm Chrissy Rutherford, and on this podcast, we're channeling this mission into real-life conversations to help normalize the topic of mental health and provide tangible resources and guidance for anyone who needs a mental health boost. To provide mental health resources, Maybelline New York will make a monetary donation to mental health organizations in conjunction with each episode. Today, I'm joined by creator and influencer Victoria Paris. She sits down with us to discuss her struggles with depression, ADHD, and bullying, and how she stays motivated to create every day. Welcome, Victoria. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Thank you for having me. It's been a minute since we've talked. I know. So let's just jump right into it. You are obviously a very open and honest person. You are one of my favorite people to follow on TikTok. I just like you're, I mean, your output is insane, <laughs> but like, you know, all of it is so interesting. I've watched your YouTube videos and I'm not really someone who like, uh, you know, comes at it from like a voyeuristic perspective of just like enjoying, like watching people doing like random things. But for some reason with you, I could literally just like watch your videos and feel completely entertained, but you're also like, so upfront about a lot of the challenges that have come from your newfound fame and, and being a creator, you've talked about trauma that you've experienced in your life, but this was not always the case for you. So tell us about your journey to working up the courage to put yourself out there in such a big way on social media. Yeah. I feel like for me, it really like happened in a vacuum. I like could just be myself 110% because it was the thick of COVID. So I was stuck in my bedroom in my senior year of college, just making videos. I was stuck in this like one bed flex in New York city. I went to college in New York city. I went to the new school and none of my friends went back to school. They kept deferring a year. They didn't want to like give up their college experience because COVID in New York was so bad. It just wasn't really living here. You're just like in your apartment and that's it. And also it was Black Lives Matter movement. There was a lot of like turmoil in the city, rightfully so. And so I was just in my room every day for days on end for like months on end. So I was just making videos with no peers to judge me, no friends to be like, why'd you make that video? It was just me like being myself online and it just took off. It was like truly a sight to see. And you, what, you amassed a million followers in six months. Yeah. I'm like, is there, I don't know if there's like a Guinness book of, <laughs> of world records for the most like TikTok followers in a shortest amount of time, but I'm sure you'd be up there. Yeah. I think that like, it's easy to like gain your initial following on TikTok, especially in these periods of time where everybody's online, like during COVID, but then keeping that engagement is something that I've been focused on. Not necessarily like growing a million to 10 because people get like 10 million followers and only have a 10% engagement. But for me, I'm grossing at least a 50% viewage on videos that sit on my page for at least a month. So do you find it to be therapeutic to talk so openly about the challenges you face? I think it can be when you hear that it's not like not normal. 
like having a community to be like, I felt the same way and I feel for you and I hear you and you're valid was really therapeutic. But initially it was just like shooting it into the abyss and not expecting anything back. And that truly was therapeutic. I mean, that's really like what it comes down to at the end of the day too, right? Is like the connection that we form with other people. And that's why also speaking up about mental health has always been so important to me because like you realize like, oh, I'm not the only one that's going through this. Like so many other people feel the same way. Yeah. 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 And it's easy, like depression spirals and like depression rates and suicide rates are at an all time high. But I think it escalates to the point of suicide when you feel like you're alone in this world and you feel like there's nobody you can reach out to, nobody to help you. And that's why like being able to talk about it openly is the thing that's going to prevent suicide rates from continuously increasing. But obviously being so open also can cause a lot of friction. Can you talk a little bit about like, how does your family like react to your unfiltered honesty about, you know, your childhood and your experiences? Yeah. It kind of like forced a wedge between me and my family initially because they didn't like me like talking about my childhood. I think that it's really easy to like reflect on things fondly and reflect on bad periods like hyper negatively. So like I think about my childhood kind of really negatively and like growing up really negatively because I dealt with like a lot of bullying and a lot of like just unhappiness and finding myself. I mean, I, I feel like I'm still finding myself every day, but my family did not love it. And it kind of like ostracized me and me and my family didn't like speak for a really long time because of that. Now we're in a better place, but that kind of added to it. Trying to be open about my life and my past traumas and my depression, like spiraled it a little bit more, but now it's better. What was that conversation like with your parents? Cause you know, I feel like even with me, like I've I've had to do the same because I like to be really open about my experiences and I try to do it in a way to still like really protect the details and the privacy of my family, of course, but it's hard. You want to share these things because again, it's something that not a lot of people talk about. Yeah. The thing is, is like with my family, like my mom was like first generation, like New Yorker, like first to go to college. And then my dad was like also just like big Jewish family. You kind of like just tough it out and don't really talk about it. So my parents aren't big talkers. So the conversation was, we don't like what you're putting online. Stop doing it. And I'm like, well, what is it that you don't like? And they're like, we just don't like it. And I'm like, so what is it? And they're like, we don't want to talk about it. We just don't like it. Stop doing it. And I'm like, how am I supposed to stop doing it if I don't know what's upsetting you? Because they don't even talk about their own mental health and they don't even have these in-depth conversations. Like growing up, it was always, we sweep it under the rug and we don't really talk about it. And that is just bubbles up to like, now I'm 23 and it's like, there's so much resentment and there's so much anger over all the conversations we didn't have. Yeah. I feel you on that. Absolutely. And so putting yourself out there and voicing your opinions can obviously be a very scary thing. And we all know that social media and the internet are not always the friendliest places. How has the criticism or the hate that you've experienced on social media impacted your mental health? Obviously, like you're also probably most known for blocking people who follow you or who you catch, like talking about you negatively. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is like, I, I think I can come off as like super like tough and like, 
uh, and I'm actually like a baby. Like I, I mean, my friends know it. My family knows it. My partner knows it. I am a sensitive little baby, but I think I come off as so tough online that, that it's elicited a lot more hate back, which has been really difficult. This, I would say like, I've dealt with depression my whole life. The only times I was like literally suicidal is when people literally tried to cancel me for bullshit. They try to say I was a Nazi when I'm literally Jewish. They try to say I'm transphobic when my best friend is trans. They try to say I'm homophobic when I'm literally gay and dating a woman. I was like, Y'all, like it's it's hard to battle with the internet when it doesn't make sense sometimes, and when things spiral on such a public level that that's when the depression really like spiraled for me. Where I was like laying on the floor of my old apartment, sprawled out, just like being like, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to do this. I don't even want to like wake up tomorrow. And that was like the darkest periods of my life. And out of that came all these opportunities, like my career and like financial stability and like the flexibility to like live wherever I want and like live my life. But out of my lowest moment came my highest moment. And there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah. I know. To just keep going. Yeah. Because I like, I can't even imagine what that must feel like on your end because I've seen the way other things like really spiral out of control on TikTok and, and obviously it happens on Instagram too, this like mob mentality. And like, it's, you know, you have no control over what is happening and what people are yeah. saying. Yeah. And like people just make anonymous accounts and they can shift the narrative and say whatever. And that's why like cancel culture is so horrible. And we've like beat that horse dead by saying cancel culture is horrible, but it's also like treat other people online with respect and like they're human. And recently, which I'm sure you've seen, I like put out this video of me like publicly crying, which I've never done before in the two years I've been on social media, basically being like, please don't come up to me in the street and grab me and scream at me. And I like was at a breaking point where I just broke down for three minutes in front of the camera. And I was like, you guys need to see me as a human and respect me because it's easy for them to just lose sight of you as another person, you know, and you just become an online persona. And what has the response been like for that video? The video I put out was basically like just me crying and breaking down and being like, I feel like I'm not being respected. I feel like I can't live in New York without being followed and people taking videos and pictures. And honestly, I expected there to be a lot more negativity. It's been overwhelmingly positive. So many people like reaching out being like, I'm so sorry. My fellow creator community even reaching out and being like, I'm here for you. I've experienced the same. And so it kind of showed me that like, yo, like you don't need to put up with all this and you can speak out and you can be upset online, you know? Of course. Especially something as serious as that, where people are literally like waiting for you outside of your home. Like that is such a huge invasion of privacy. And I really like the way that you went about it because you were speaking to your community. Like if you're here because you love me and you enjoy following me, then like, please respect me. Yeah. I mean, like the reason why I said that in that way of not being upset and angry is because I'm more so angry with the YouTubers and the OG Instagrammers who put up with this and just suffered in silence. The celebrities, like what happened with like Princess Diana, like should not have happened. The like level of assault that happens with paparazzi, with fans, with stan culture. And it's because like, you know, there becomes this like this barrier between famous people and their audiences where you're not allowed to address them directly. And you can't speak to your audience and be like, hey, I'm dealing with stalkers. Like the Kardashians just, you know, they have stalkers. You don't ever hear them talk about it. And it's like, I was like, I'm not a Kardashian level. Like I'm going to speak to my community because they're literally all right here on this app and say, stop doing this. But I was more so, so frustrated that all the people before me allowed the culture of the internet and stan culture to get to this point. And so I didn't want to be angry with my audience. I just wanted to like be better. Yeah. 
Well, I really hope that they heard your message. Oh my God, they did. It's already better. Like days later, like people seeing me on the street and just be like, Hey, so how do you stay positive in the face of all of this turmoil that like you experience on social media? Like how do you get up every day and like still want to do what you're doing? I still feel like I'm battling with my depression. Like it's been really difficult to like get up like before 10 AM and then, but I constantly find myself being like, it's been really difficult to get up before 10 AM, but I have the privilege to wake up at 10 AM or 11 AM. And I'm constantly trying to put myself in check, like even in like my vernacular and the things I put out there being like, I remember I made a video yesterday basically being like this homeless person on the subway literally lit up a crack pipe. And then I was stuck in the subway with them and my eyes were watering, whatever. And I was like, I'm going to buy an electric motorcycle. And then I said, but it's a privilege and a luxury to buy that motorcycle and be able to like not take the subway and not everybody has that privilege. So it's just like controlling the way I speak. If I'm going to speak negatively and then about my privilege and my luxury, and then explaining to myself what privilege and luxury I have compared to other people. Mm. That's a really good way to go about it. Talk to me a little bit more about your depression. Like when did you first, when did you first experience it? I would say like, like when I was like 16, I think like everybody has their like first high school relationship. They come out of that. They're deciding on colleges. And I just felt like super, again, ostracized. Like I'd always been the odd one out my whole life. Like I never fit in. And the first time my depression really spiraled was when I went to college and I was rushing sororities and I got dropped from every single sorority. And it was the first time in my life that people basically outwardly told me, we do not want you. We do not want you in our sorority. We do not want you in our sisterhood. And I went to Indiana University for a year. It is known for one of the largest Greek lives in the country. They had like over 20 sororities. And the fact that every single sorority said they didn't want me made me feel like one of the lowest points I've ever been. And again, out of that came another high point where I decided to transfer colleges, go home, focus on myself, because I was like, just so low over that and knocked my confidence for a year plus afterwards. And how did you, how did you work through that? I went home and I stayed home for three months and I didn't see anybody but my parents and I found working out and I started working out. I'd never worked out before. I started working on my body and beginning to love my body and the strength it had to like do things, you know, like lift weights or run a certain amount of miles. And it kind of distracted me from like outward validation. And I became like really proud of myself as a person because nobody else was pushing me to do that. I was pushing myself to do that. Yeah. And did you, well, I guess you really like leaned on your parents during that time. I'm like, do you, did you have other friends that you could talk to when you were feeling depressed? Were you in therapy at this point? No, I'm the type of person where like, I am a huge self-reflector and when things happen, I pull back and kind of can isolate myself, which again, is not the best way to do things. You can really spiral. And I lean on a few people. So I was really leaning on my parents at the point of time and my parents aren't big talkers. So they would be like, you know, like, let's eat healthy and let's wake up earlier and let's go for a run and like maybe go. And I was helping my dad out at work. And that was the only way I really knew how to cope at that point in time. I didn't know anybody who was really in therapy because not a ton of my friends growing up in North Carolina in high school were in therapy or even in their first year of college were in therapy or even seeking help. So I didn't even know to do that. When you were in college, were you bullied? Like when you went through that whole situation with the sororities, was there bullying on top of being rejected? 
yeah, there was also like a lot of uh, anti-Semitic undertones. So my like name is Victoria Paris, but my like legal last name is Jewish. And so whenever my card would like slip across like a sorority's thing, they'd be like, oh, she's going to be in the Jewish sorority. And so they just passed on me, expecting me to go to the Jewish sorority. And so there are only two Jewish sororities out of like the 20-something houses. And they were like, who is this girl? Is she even Jewish? We've, she's not legacy. We've never heard of her. She's not from Long Island. And she's not from like these traditionally Jewish areas. And so then I got dropped by the Jewish sororities. So I felt like I never fit in. Like I wasn't Jewish enough and I wasn't white girly enough. And there was that just, again, feeling like I was the odd one out constantly in my life. And then also there was bullying from other girls. I was... I went to Indiana University not knowing a soul, and everybody who apparently goes to that school knows each other. So they were like, who is this girl, and why is she here? And we don't like her because she's different. She looks different. She talks different. Yeah. What advice would you have for anyone listening who deals with bullying, whether in school or on social media? I think that, again, like, the only thing you can control is the way you react to it. You can't control other people. They can be like hateful people. They can be unhappy and projecting that on you. And all you have to do is protect your energy, remove yourself from situations, speak out and say, Hey, I cannot be in this class anymore. I cannot be at this school anymore. I cannot be around this person anymore and remove yourself and do what's best for you. Do not allow yourself to be continuously subjected to it. I think especially young children in school, like in high school are not allowed to remove themselves because They need to focus on their education, but if their education is being obstructed or anything's being obstructed by bullying or any kind of abuse, they need to advocate for themselves. Okay. So after you graduated from school, you were working at a financial tech startup, but then you lost that job during the pandemic. So how did that experience impact your mental health? I was actually working at the fintech startup my junior and senior year of college, and that was a job I intended on doing when I graduated. So I was working part-time and in school. I worked all throughout school and working full-time over the summer. And losing that job, it wasn't just losing that job, and I'm sure you felt the same way. It was being a woman working in predominantly male spaces that really put me in the dark place that led up to losing the job. The startup ended up going under, but it was like me finding out that I was getting paid less than like my male counterparts. It was finding out that like I wasn't being taken seriously. It was people commenting on my outfits and just the community of the company was horrible. And that's also why the company went under. So at that point I had reached my breaking point where I was like, I'm ready to do something else. I'm almost glad it went under because I don't need to say I got fired now. Seriously. I know I can't even imagine. I mean, I've never worked in totally male dominated spaces, but still that feeling of like not being valued and sort of having your contributions questioned that can really, that can impact you in, in such a, that can just really impact you in a, in a really stressful way. It's also like the anxiety of showing up to work every day because a lot of people like have to go to work Monday to Friday, nine to five. And it's like, you know, the hour leading up to 9am or the commute to work is like so anxiety inducing and you don't want to go or like you have one bad meeting and it ruins your whole week. And it's like depression and anxiety in the workplace is so real. And you're supposed to like love your job and do what you are passionate about, but not everybody has the privilege to again. Yeah, no, they certainly don't. And I also don't believe that there's always this talk about like, 
you know, if you do the job that you are most like passionate about, then you'll never feel like you're, you know, you're really working. But I just don't believe that because I mean, I had a job that I really loved and it still made me feel burnt out and miserable towards the end of it. Yeah. It's also like that, like sentiment is so capitalistic where like, you're supposed to just accept that you are working five days a week and you really only have two days of free time. Like as a human being, like imagine how much free will and like free time you have to yourself. Like that's crazy to be working five days a week for the foreseeable future. You're just supposed to accept that that's the rest of your life. No matter how much you love something, you are still like enslaved to a task and working. Yeah. So right before rising to stardom on TikTok, you actually had come out of like a six month social media hiatus, right? You had deleted like all of your apps. So talk a little bit about the reasons behind that decision and like, how did that impact your mental health? So it was like peak, like Black Lives Matter movement. And, you know, like there was so much performative activism online and people like witch hunting people and like trying to like distract the movement and the message and living in New York at the time and like attending the protests and the rallies and like actually like seeing what was happening. It was so disheartening to like see all these people in North Carolina, like still follow like Republicans, still post like racist sentiment, still like be horrible people. And I was just like, obviously it's a place for a lot of people to find community and whatever, but it was so disheartening for me to see that. And also at the time I was still working in finance and I was like, I don't need this right now in my life. And I know what's right and I know where I stand and I know what I should be showing up to and like the support I should be giving. And I just felt like for the first time in my life, so just disgusted with the people I knew online and like the culture that was online at that time. And so I really just wanted to start over. Even if I was going to come back, I didn't want to be like associated with any of those people from my past, like people I went to high school with. So I was just, and my brother deleted it too at the same time because he also works in finance. And so we were like, we don't really need this. And we had each other through it. But it was just because, like, it was so depressing to go online to either see, like, young black kids getting shot, getting trampled, getting, like, treated with no, like, human rights, and then see, like, privileged white kids, like, posting, like, infographics and, like, or even posting, like, Republican shit. And I'm like, ah, I don't feel good every time I open my phone for a million reasons. And again, it it was a privilege to delete and go off the grid, but that was why I did it. Yeah. That was a very special time to be on the internet. It was a lot. It was very overwhelming. So also you've spoken about how you really don't care, obviously about like amassing millions and millions of followers. You're way more focused on actually creating like a dedicated community that will trust you and your advice and, you know, the brands that you work with. Why is that your approach? And why is that something important to you? Like really building community versus amassing more of a following? I think that I was always interested in cults growing up. I'm not like trying to be like, I want to start a cult. And I've never been like that, but that's kind of like something I've joked about around with. I think like I was always super envious of people who were religious, who found like some kind of like higher purpose, who felt like they belonged to something. My, my family didn't have traditions. We didn't have like holiday traditions. We didn't have like things we celebrated. We didn't have like religion really growing up. And so I always felt so envious of people who had like higher calling 
And so I was like, you know what, if I'm going to do this job and like have like millions of followers, a million followers or hundreds of thousands of followers, I want them to feel like they belong here. Like there's some sense of community and there's some sense of like allegiance. I don't want fake followers. I want diehard followers. And that kind of bit me in the ass with like the stalking and like the personal boundaries being violated. But like the, I knew I was getting into that. I knew what I was building. And like, obviously like it got to a breaking point with me recently, but I'm not going to stop building this like tight knit community because to me one that's the most lucrative and two that's the most impactful and i'm not here to like be like a a passive influencer preach (laughs) my voice slay i was literally at this dinner the other day and i was with free people and one of the free people reps she's not on tiktok and i think she's like in her 30s and she's like i've never actually heard somebody say serious like seriously say slay in a sentence till i met you and i was like oh god congratulations Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So I want to like dive deeper into this cult mentality though, because I, as a creator myself, you can see the difference between creators who are able to really create that like rabid fan base. And so how do you think you have created that? I just think that like, it's because I've created with no boundaries. Like the thing is, is that like, you're like, I'm not the type of person who's like usually voyeuristic with watching. And I usually don't watch creators for everything they do. But the thing is, is I just started just giving people everything I do. There was no one set genre I was putting out there. Like get ready with me videos. I was putting out, get ready with me to go to the grocery store. This is what I got from the grocery store. This is what I like from the grocery store. This is what I eat to run well. And this is what a run looks like for me. And this is what I wear to my runs. And like just creating with no boundaries made people want a little bit of everything for you. Obviously people favor certain types of content but it gives them a well-rounding understanding for you and a lot more like allegiance because they're like well I think she actually has really good style and you can see that in her furniture and this might be a bad outfit of hers so I'm not really going to judge and you know I know she's going through a low place because she talked about her relationship last week and maybe her furniture sucks because her relationship's sucking or something like that you know like they become they see you as a three-dimensional person when you create with no boundaries you give so much of yourself to the internet though like where do you find time for yourself? I really do neglect myself. I like recently like went into therapy and then like stopped and like, I definitely need to go back. But you know, I I, like started therapy because I was like, I need to get back to myself because I need to find time to like talk about how crazy all this is and how it's not normal. I find time for myself mostly in the gym mostly with working out. It's one of the one ways I know, like I will feel better and like, I find time for myself with my partner. A lot of times, like I turn, I have no problem turning off my phone with my partner or doing activities. I find time for myself in traveling, which are all privileges again, but that's when I do find time for myself. Okay. Cause yeah, as I said, like you, you do put out so much content and I know from experience as well, that sometimes it can feel hard. Like you don't ever really get to like take a vacation or, You know, so it is really about finding those like small moments that you can have for yourself. I also think like when you're like making so many videos at a certain point, it's not work. Like you have to like love it. And I really do love it. Like if I'm on vacation and trying to relax, I never feel like I want to go on vacation and not touch my phone. Like if I'm on vacation, I'm going on vacation and then I'm like, oh wait, I want to film that. That's super cool. And I want to share that. And then I feel like incentivized to do it. But I never like force myself to do videos I don't want to do. Like for a while, I wanted to stop making running videos and I stopped. And 
I think like I don't get burned out because I don't force myself to do anything I don't want to do. I don't do any brand deals I don't want to do. Like I don't go to any events I don't want to go to. And it's just like knowing what I actually want to do and advocating for myself. So you do have some boundaries. So many boundaries with my work. Yeah. So how others treat us and the perceptions they have about us can have a big impact on our mental health. And you've obviously spoken about how like nobody in your life really like expected any success from you. So can you talk a little bit about how that impacted you and like how you reconcile that with being comfortable with yourself and your success now? I think because nobody expected anything from me, I expect the world from me. Like there was no, there was no like sun and stars and like you become a doctor. There was none of that. There was like a, like, we hope you get married. Like we hope that you get a good husband or something like that. And so now I'm like, well, damn, nobody expected anything. So I want to do everything, you know? And so I have these like super high expectations of myself and expect the world out of me. And like, like I never came into this job and I was like, I want Forbes 30 under 30. I want to make a few million. I want to buy a house. I was like, I just want to pay rent next month. And so now every month I'm finding these new things I want to do. And it's hard to like be happy with what I've done and be proud of myself and not keep working and not keep moving forward, which is again, like existing in a capitalist country. It's kind of hard to like find like pride in yourself, but that's something I'm actively working on is like not feeling like I have to keep pushing forward and shoot for the stars constantly. I think it's part of the job though, right? It's like, you always sort of feel like you have to be striving for something else. There's always something more, more deals, more projects, more content goals. Yeah. It's also like comparing yourself to your fellow creators. Like you see somebody succeeding you're like, well, we came up at the same time and we're the same age. We have the same amount of followers. Why am I not performing at that level? So, but you'll drive yourself crazy doing that. Oh, hundred percent. And that's why you can't compare yourself to other people because like comparison is a thief of joy. Ain't it? I know that was going to be my next question. Like, do you struggle with comparison? I think that what I'm building is so different from other people, but then I hear like, this person's making this much money and this person got this house. And I'm like, Ooh, how did they do that when we're the same size and doing the same things? And because I'm very logical and realistic and analytical, I'm like, we have the same amount of followers and you're making like 10 times the amount of me, but then you have to factor in like privileges and like what somebody looks like and the brand they represent and their audience. And, you know, I'm so interested in the business side of the industry where I compare myself on the business side and then try to like rationalize everything. That's something I really admire about you is that you are so business minded. And I watched an interview you had done on the Colin and Samir show. And I really liked how you talked about, you know, the difference between sort of like being creative, a creative person and like what you are. And you're like, I can offer consistency. And that's really what you do best, right? Is like, you have a formula and you stick to it. Whereas like, I see myself as like a creative person and what I really struggle with is consistency. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think that like, You know, at a certain point, like I built my following and I want to curate more like highbrow content to them. But the thing is, is like for me to produce highbrow content, it takes me making like 10 trash videos and being like, okay, this one's way better. And like, this is what I should put out there. This This is what I should keep up. And I think that like work ethic is just something that I have and business savvy is something that I have. So I constantly try to lean into it. I don't really present that on my TikTok. It's just something that's on the back end that people in our industry know about. And in these interviews, these long formatting interviews, or maybe on YouTube, you find out about me. 
But I would say like, that's something I don't necessarily put online because I don't want people to think that I'm like conniving or like manipulative or like after the money. So being a 23 year old attractive woman and also business savvy, intelligent, articulate doesn't necessarily work in my favor on TikTok. Absolutely. And you also struggle with ADHD, correct? Yeah. And you've obviously said like, you wouldn't be able to do this job. Like if you weren't absolutely obsessed with it, how did you learn to embrace the way your mind works and pursue the things that, you know, all the things that you're passionate about? I think for me, it was like accepting that my mind's really good at some things and not really good at other things. So like these dishes back here have been there for a few days. So like that laundry hasn't been done for a few months. And like that will affect my mental health where I can't do the things I'm obsessed with, which is like picking out cute outfits. And it's like, well, you can't get dressed if you don't have clean underwear, babes. Like you need to address those like Maslow hierarchy of needs, those base level ones where you're filling up the Brita so you can drink water. Cause otherwise you're not going to get to the gym and love the gym if you're not drinking that water. And that's when I accepted that I needed to be on medication and I needed to take Adderall because that helps me accomplish my base level things like taking care of myself. I can do all these things I'm obsessed with because I have ADHD and like hyper fixate on them, but I cannot do them successfully if I'm not taking care of the base things. Did you have any resistance about going on medication? Yeah. So my, my teacher is like growing up all throughout elementary school, middle school and high school. Like, so the state can kind of mandate that you be tested and put on medication. And so my teachers kept like flagging me to go get tested and more like, you need to be on medication. And my parents were like, no, we're not putting on our medication. And I was a very against it because there's so much stigma about being medicated and like addiction and stuff like that, which I kind of see and I understand it. So I waited until my freshman year of college when I got dropped from all those sororities and all that stuff where I was in the really dark place where I was like, I need motivation. I need like consistency. Like I need structure. And that's when I like got medication and got tested. And that's when I found structure in my life. But I think like it's hard to navigate medicating somebody as a child. I think it's very circumstantial and there's no right answer. Absolutely. Like I had my first panic attack at 13. And of course, like when my parents talked to the school, their first suggestion was for me to see a psychologist, go on medication therapy as well. My parents were not down with me going on medication at that time. So I started off with therapy and yeah, I've never fully committed to anti-anxiety meds and not because I have any type of feeling. I think I've just like learned how to struggle through it sometimes, but I have to remind myself also that like, there's no rewards for struggling. Yeah. And, and the, like, you know, what works for you right now may not work forever. Like life can get even harder at points and it's okay to like go back on what you said where it's like, I've never done this before, but that doesn't mean I won't. And just leaving your options open and being open-minded to all avenues. And if something's working for you, you don't need to do everything all at once. And now let's shift a little bit to also you've struggled with an eating disorder And you've been really honest about it and wrestling with moderation for much of your life. So tell us about your battle with anorexia and binging and how you learned to address the root cause of, you know, of these problems in your life. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't talk about that with getting put on Adderall, like eating disorders are soon to follow. So like Adderall's like side effects, my eating disorder came out of Adderall. So like in me medicating myself and like trying to establish these base level needs, Adderall's side effect is no 
appetite. So I wasn't eating all day. And then I was getting all these like super fast. And this is not me endorsing this. This is me telling you not to do this. I wasn't eating all day and then working out excessively and like accomplishing all my base level needs. And then I was like getting these crazy results in my body and I was so happy with it. And then I realized like, yo, you're not eating until like midnight. And then it got to this point where it's like, you're not eating till midnight and you're binge eating because you didn't get the food in your body that you needed earlier in the day. And so the struggle came out of medication and then liking the way my body was looking. And then I'm like, wait, my body was coming out of a dark place. Like that wasn't happy. And then it was moving to the city and in the city I was going to a fashion school. And so it was all these very thin model girls who probably naturally are that way. And I was comparing myself to them. And I was like, well, I knew that if I took this medication, it would make me look this way. And it kind of looks like them. So I started like abusing my medication because I wanted to like lose weight and like be thin. And then it just came in this really sick place of deriving beauty in myself from being small, taking up as little space as possible. And that is a really sick, dark place. And I had to like find beauty and other things like being able to run 10 miles. And in order to run 10 miles, gotta be eating three meals a day. And so I stopped caring about the way I looked and cared more about the things I could accomplish. And in that I found body neutrality, which has been very gratifying for me. Do you feel like with your eating disorder, this is something that you are still something you still have to work at every single day? So for me, like a newfound facet of this eating disorder that I've never heard anybody talk about is dating other women. So I'm dating another woman now. And in dating another woman, you realize, oh my gosh, all of us women have relationships with food. We blow, we wake up, we feel like shit. So when my partner feels like shit over the three meals we both ate yesterday, then I feel like shit. And it's again, like not allowing your emotions to be affected by your partner or like another woman or even a friend. That's not an issue in my current relationship, but in dating women for the first time, I realized that like yo, you can get an eating disorder, like just from being around somebody, you can be affected by somebody else's eating. And it's making sure that you are like telling people like, Hey, you can't say that around me. You can't shame this food around me. You can't make me feel that way. And that's something I'm dealing with in my adulthood is I resolved it in myself. It's making sure the community of people around me is not like reigniting these feelings inside of me. That's perfect. Cause my next question was going to be like, what advice do you have for women who are also struggling with this? But I think that's you know, you bring up such a great point of, you have to be mindful of what other people are saying around you as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you can like subconsciously like absorb so much from other people. If you're around somebody who's like severely depressed or struggling with an eating disorder, you're bound to pick up on the, like a little bit of it and like kind of shoulder that burden. And then again, like you can be a friend to somebody to a point where you're like, seek help, you know, seek professional help, get on medication, ask somebody else because, you know, I only know my experience and I cannot like actually like I've had friends like who knew I was a personal trainer who knew I've dropped weight at points in my life try to use me as like a food diary. They'd be like, I ate this, that, and the other thing. What do I do? I feel like shit now. And I'm like, bro, wrong person to text. Like, I don't know what to say to you right now, but don't be texting me your food log and how much you worked out. And like, you want these results. And a lot of people have come to me and try to do that to me. And I'm like, you will sometimes it takes our friendship to such a toxic place that I'm like, we can't even recover a friendship after this. You let your eating disorder like cloud our friendship. Yeah. That's, that's really difficult to deal with. You had a recent YouTube video 
where you said being a public figure had stripped you of your emotions and that you were working on like getting your empathy back and joy. Can you talk a little bit about that and what that journey's looked like for you and the impact that like strangers feeling entitled to your time, energy, body, you know, has had on your mental health? Yeah, I feel like, you know, you have like a spectrum of emotions and I used to feel so deeply before this and also so happy. And this job has awarded me like so much amazing stuff, like the ability to just pick up and go anywhere in the country tomorrow or do anything I want, speak to anybody online. But it's also like awarded me the total opposite, the lowest points in my life. It's taking me so here and here. I'll, I'll get, I'll get canceled one day and then get the best news of my life the next day. And so it's made my spectrum of emotions just shrink, 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 where I just don't even feel happy anymore. And I don't even feel sad anymore. I just feel so neutral. And the same way with my body where I felt so happy about my body and then so negative about it. I just feel like I exist in this gray area where I'm trying to find ways to be excited again about life because when like you've been put through so much and again, I also feel so neutral because I see, I also lack empathy because I see again, like people online being like shot in the street, being stripped of their rights, being like taken out of their homes, be like sexually assaulted that I'm like, my struggle isn't that deep. I have no empathy for myself because I think about all these other people that all this information I'm consuming online. And I'm like, it's never that deep. Your, your story isn't that hard. Cause look at this other person online. And so I'm constantly comparing myself and comparing other people and I'm lacking empathy because of that. But again, it's just like, we're all human and we all feel deeply, you know? And at the end of the day, like, yes, there's other people who may have it worse than you, but you're still allowed to feel how you feel about your own struggles in your life. And please don't ever forget that. Yeah. That's something I'm trying to embrace. And I think that's why I like that, like three minute long video of me crying online got to that point. Because again, like I was like, this is something I just have to put up with. This is just something I have to deal with. And I was like, you know what? No, this is not something you have to deal with. You can stand up for yourself. You can advocate. You can be upset. You can be mad. Absolutely. Like you're, I'm like, I hate to say it because it's so cliche, but I'm like, your feelings are valid <laughs> and you're allowed to feel your feelings. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then finally, you've obviously like, you know, you've taken back a lot of control over your videos and your narrative and, you know, moderating your own comments do you feel like that also had like a huge impact on you feeling better about your online presence? And, you know, I feel like to this day now, like Victoria Paris, like blocks people. That's kind of, you know, we've known that you've done this for a while now, but people still talk about it. And actually I think you did a recent video where you're like, if I see someone commenting on another video, it's not even just about your own videos. It's if you see people talking badly about you on random other videos that come up on your for you page, you will block those people. Yeah. Or like, even if I spot an incel in a video comment being like, I hate women, like women shouldn't walk around in the street with no clothes. I'm going to block them. Cause I'm like, I don't want you to see my videos. Damn. Like, I don't even want you in my space. Like, but the thing is, is that, okay. So I blocked all these people. So I don't have to deal with them later, but in blocking all them, I had to read. I've read every single hate comment. I've watched every single hate video for me. I've seen it all. And that's why my, my, my emotions are so neutral because I've like just been perceived and read all of it. I'm the one pressing the block button. I don't have like an intern. I know other people who have like interns and teams who like do all this for them. And I'm like, no, I subject myself to this and I read everything and I curate the space on my page. You're like, you're not allowed to just come into somebody's work and it costs them. So you cannot come into my comments and it costs me no matter how much you're like, 
oh, free speech. Yeah, free speech. But also, like, this is my page. This is a tyranny. Like, get out. But, like, in doing that and doing all that hard work and reading all those hate comments, I curated such a positive space on my page where it's always usually overwhelmingly positive or the feedback is constructive. And a lot of people are like, oh, well, now you exist in a vacuum with like no dissenting opinions and no constructive criticism. And I'm like, no, baby, I still have to watch all my hate videos and read all those comments because I still watch the other side of it. That's not on my page. But it's been amazing and creating a very positive community that's very like loyal. Right. And yeah, and this at the end of the day, it's like you're trying. This isn't about you like trying to escape like accountability for anything. It's that you don't need people coming on your page and talking shit about you. Yeah. And it's also like makes me angry because it's people before me allowed this to happen. It's like all the OG TikTokers that you can think about, like all the dancing girls and whatever, they do not acknowledge their comments. They do not like anything. They don't respond to anything because when you become celebrity and famous, there's this barrier that's built where you don't need to address your community because they don't want to. And I kind of get it when you get that much feedback and that much like flack, you just don't even want to talk to your community anymore. You don't even like, like them at that point sometimes. And so they don't even acknowledge their community, but I will continuously acknowledge my community and the space that they exist in. Do you feel like you're also one of those people where it's like, obviously you can have like thousands of positive comments, but like one negative one will like completely destroy you. No, because I've read everything and like none of them are really that deep. Like when somebody's like, oh my God, like one of your eyes is bigger than the other, which like they're not, but like, I already noticed about that about myself when I was 12. Like, like all the things that they could say about me, I already knew because I am such a self-reflective person. The only people who can truly, really, really, really hurt me are the people who are closest to me in my life. Like the person I wake up next to every morning, like can hurt me in a way that somebody who's a troll online couldn't. But obviously like it's mad stressful when somebody's trying to cancel you or talking shit about you. I get super stressed out and it, it used to affect my sleep and now it doesn't. Like you just learn to deal with it and take it with a grain of salt. And there's been millions of hate comments. There'll be millions of more hate comments. What's really sad though, is the thousands of positive comments. I kind of don't even like register. I'm like, okay, as it should be slay, like... And I'm like, you should be excited and you should feel like happy that people say you look beautiful today. And I'm like, damn. Well, I also suppose it's one of those things where you're not new to this. Like you get a lot of positive comments. And I actually recently saw a Harry Styles video on Instagram where he was talking about how a friend told him that like, whatever people say about you is not true. Like whether it's negative or positive, like whether they're saying you're the worst person or the best person, and this is people online, like none of it is true. And that's how you're supposed to look at it. Yeah. Cause they don't know you is the thing. Like they don't know you at all. And so then I don't even register it. I don't really register it. Like some, somebody can do your makeup and it could be the best makeup on TikTok and in person does not look good. And they could be like, you look so beautiful. And you go on the street and you look like a clown. And just everything with grain of salt, just do what's best for you and know what's best for you. There you go. Thank you so much for being here today. I mean, everything you shared, I know will be really impactful for our audience and I can't wait to see what else you do. And you know, all the videos, are you coming back to YouTube? I need to, honestly, like, I don't know if I come back to YouTube heavily, I want to come back with a bang, you know, like something really cool and big. Okay. Well, we'll be waiting. Yay. And I'll be waiting for you to come back to New York. (laughs) 
<laughs> Talk to you later. Bye. That's all the time we have for today. I want to say thank you so much to Victoria Paris for joining us to discuss her mental health struggles and life as a creator. We're here to provide access to mental health resources and support to those who need it most. Make sure you're subscribed to I'm Fine You. And if you're enjoying the show, leave us a review. Tell us what you'd like. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Chrissy Rutherford, and this has been I'm Fine You, presented by Maybelline, New York. Music.